Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The overwhelmed brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach. And this is the show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. And as always, everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or a psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I think I have a kind of a fun educational show today. Uh, I say it's fun because I made up some stuff. <laughs> well, I made up some terms. I didn't look these up online. But I was thinking about some of the issues that we deal with in any kind of relationship that we're in. And uh, one of the issues that we deal with in relationships are mixed messages. And I receive a lot of emails that talk about mixed messages. He says he's going to do it, but he doesn't. He says he loves me, but then he does this. She says that uh, she's going to text me back and she never does. I get these kind of emails all the time. And so I realize, okay, this is a real issue here. Mixed messages that we give to people that lead them to think that we are going to do something or we feel a certain way but we show up a different way. Like um, I had a client once whose boyfriend always said, yeah, let's do it. And then he would never do it. <laughs> he would never, you know, anything. He would never take her to the movies. He would never uh, call when he said he was going to call. He promised. He voiced the words that he was going to do something or say something or take care of something, but never did it. And so she realized, I, I keep getting mixed messages, and I love the guy. What do I do? And I worked with her on that, and, you know, there's things that we're going to talk about in this episode that um, her and I addressed, but there's also other things about mixed messages that I didn't talk about with her. So if she's listening, maybe this will help be helpful to her. And I know it's going to be helpful for probably tens of thousands of people out there. I was one of those guys that gave mixed messages all the time. And there were several reasons for it. And I'll go over those reasons. Uh, and this is less of a, this is the psychological function uh, kind of show. And more of a, hey, this is what I experienced with my clients. And this is what you may be experiencing right now. So let's talk about it. Let's um, put some labels on it. Not diagnoses, just labels. And... See if we can identify some common characteristics of people who send mixed messages. And you're going to sense a lot of crossover. You're going to find, you know, emotional abuse in this spectrum of things I talk about. And you're going to find manipulation. You're going to find um, the abused mind, where the mind. Uh, starts to tolerate more and more abuse as it gets exposed to it, you're going to see a lot of crossover. So these are not definitive and absolute by any nature. They're just something to keep in mind so that when you see a number of these symptoms in yourself or someone else, you can go, oh, that is a passive pursuer. That's one of the terms I made up. We'll talk about it in a second. But we can think that's a passive pursuer. What he's doing is this. And now that I have a somewhat of a label for it, again, these are made up. <laughs> I didn't look these up. I didn't see if they were actual labels. But I wanted to call them something so I could talk about them. Now that I have this label, what other characteristics might make this up? And not only that, but what do I want to do about it? Now that I know that it is a thing. It's sort of like when I talk about emotional abuse, 
Um, there's so many subtle and single things that someone who is emotionally abusing does that it's hard to put into words to anyone else how you're being emotionally abused. If you're in an emotionally abusive relationship or ever have been, and you tell your mom or your dad or your best friend, this is what she does. She does this and it drives me crazy and she's making me think I'm wrong. And then your mom or your dad or your best friend or whoever says, I just don't see it. And what you just described doesn't sound so bad. And then you start pulling your hair out because they just don't understand. That's what I talk about with the Mean Workbook, where you have a combination of subtle manipulations that go on that compound into something bigger that is the monster that gets created piece by piece. I'm not saying that the abuser is the monster. I'm saying this monster of emotional abuse that is now the dark cloud in your relationship can form through many tiny pieces. And to explain the monster cloud that's following your relationship to someone else would mean knowing exactly how to describe how the pieces fit and come together in a way that makes emotional abuse. It's very difficult. And that's why I've heard some therapists and counselors and coaches don't have much experience uh, regarding emotionally abusive relationships. So they don't know the extent of what can happen and also the symptoms of someone experiencing emotional abuse. So they'll, you know, I hate to say misdiagnose or they'll even talk to the abuser and get duped themselves. This is only a few. There's a, a, a lot of amazing counselors and therapists out there, but there are a few that, you know, don't have that experience with, you know, narcissism, emotional abuse, sociopathy, or antisocial personality disorder, at least from their client base whom they've worked with. So because, you know, even the professionals can miss these signs and symptoms, uh, it's very difficult to really get a grasp on it yourself because you, you can't even find someone that can help you understand it. And that's why I created the mean workbook over at loveandabuse.com so you can understand all these little pieces if you're dealing with that. If you're just dealing with mixed messages, like I said, it could be part of emotional abuse, it could be part of other things, um, then this show will maybe help you understand some of the pieces that make up these mixed messages and the pieces that make up the labels I've given them. These may not stick. <laughs> These labels may be temporary until something else comes along. But for now, we're going to talk about them. And um, when we come back, I'll go over these labels and the symptoms. Uh, but before we go into the next segment, I want to share with you my experience being the perpetrator of mixed messages. And I think I would say most of us have done something like this. Most of us listening have um, given our partner, given our friend, given our coworker, given our boss, given someone mixed messages. Like, hey, he said he wanted to come to the movies and then he just called and said he didn't want to come and it didn't sound like he was interested at all. What's up with that? You know, we, this is the kind of stuff that might be a little bit minor, but um, it can get pretty deep when you're giving mixed messages to someone that you should have a loving, trusting relationship with. It can get pretty hard to deal with. So uh, one of my mixed messages stories has to do with when I was in my 20s and I was flirty with a girl I worked with. I was probably flirty with several girls I worked with, uh, but you know, at the time I was single and I was really flirty with her and I hate to say it, I wanted her body. <laughs> I mean, that was me in my 20s. I wanted her body. So I wanted to flirt with her to get her interested in me so that she would want my body back. And when that happened, I felt powerful. I felt good. I felt attractive. It helped with my self-worth and self-esteem. The problem with that is that just because I wanted that doesn't mean I was going to get that. I mean, not that she wouldn't give that. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but let's put it this way. I wasn't going to pursue it to have sex with her. I just wanted to know if she would, if it was available. 
<laughs> this is so weird. But uh, this is how I was in my 20s. And it is weird because it's a mixed message. I was giving off the vibe of, hey, I want you. Um, I wouldn't say those words, but I was very flirty and I invited her over to my house and she started tickling me and I was like, uh, okay, and that's kind of fun. But now I'm getting nervous because I don't really want to have sex with her. Um, but she didn't know this because the message I gave her was, hey, let's get together. Let's have a relationship. You know, nothing ever happened when she came over. And then, you know, a few days later, she calls me or we talked at work, I forget. And she goes, you know, what's going on? What What are we doing here? And I thought, uh, what do you mean? Because now she's holding me accountable, right? What do you mean? What are we doing? Well, she goes, well, are you interested in me? Are, are we going to start something? Are we going to start a relationship? And suddenly I have the choice to follow through with my behavior or back off. Now, the reason I didn't follow through is because I have I had body image issues at that time. I was actually nervous to get naked in front of someone. It's not like I hadn't done that before, but I was still nervous to do it. Like somebody had to be real close to me in order for me to start trusting them to take my clothes off in front of them. But I still wanted the attention. I still wanted that sexual energy that came from flirting. I did want sex, but I didn't necessarily want sex from them. Like I said, mixed messages. Why do we do this stuff? <laughs> so she did call me a few days later. She asked me, what's going on? Are we going to have a relationship? Is this something that we're starting? Which was a very good question. And instead of, you know, admitting, you know, I just wanted to flirt and I just wanted this, I just wanted that. I said, uh, no, uh, I'm sorry if I gave off the wrong vibe, but that's not what I really wanted. And she said, oh, oh, uh, okay. Well, now that I know I can move on and not have to worry about that. And uh, I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I didn't mean to do that. And the truth was, I did mean to do it. I wanted the attention. I wanted that sexual energy, that sexual possibility. Just knowing it was an option, even though I wasn't going to follow through on that option, gave me a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment and maybe some primal alpha power. I don't know. But I do know that in hindsight, I can look at this and see all those mixed messages and understand exactly what I was doing, which I had done to several other people throughout my life. Uh, not to that extent, but I can see now that it was just fulfilling a need in myself. And once that need was fulfilled, even though there wasn't a full-on you know, physical connection, it became satisfactory to that point. And the problem was, because it's a mixed message, she didn't get it. She didn't understand why I was stopping, why I wasn't following through. So it was really strange to her. And, you know, kudos to her for speaking up, which is one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode, speaking up and asking for clarification. Really, really smart thing for her to do because it put me on the spot and it forced me to express a truth that I was afraid to say. I was afraid to say the truth because I still wanted that pursuit. I wanted to be the pursuer. And if she liked me and was attracted back, then I am winning in the pursuit. The problem was I wanted to keep the pursuit going, um, but never give it closure, which leaves her in limbo and me satisfying some dysfunctional need to be to want to be loved, to want to fill my self-worth or self-esteem, on and on and on. So anyway, there's one of my mixed messages stories that um, gives you some background in at least my observation and awareness of mixed messages in my own life now. Not that you need to know about that, but I think it'll help to reflect on what I've learned about myself and what you can learn about yourself and the people that you're around and how they might be giving off mixed messages too. And also how it affects the other person because I affected her. I mean, imagine if she was starting to fall for me and I cut her off like that. That's pretty darn painful. It can be, it can be very hurtful. So I, you know, I certainly didn't want to hurt. It was more selfish. It wasn't intending to do harm, but it did. So that became something I started to become more and more aware of. So anyway, when we come back, 
I'm going to get into the terms that I made up and uh, we're going to talk about more mixed messages and what we need to look for and what we can do about it. Be right back. Okay, welcome back. I just want to comment one on one little thing about my story, about my mixed messages story. And that is, um, I think I addressed it a little bit, but the idea of having options. You know, when you know you have options as opposed to when you know you have no options, it's a different feeling. For example, it's a different feeling walking into a store with a thousand bucks in your pocket than it is with a dollar in your pocket. When you walk into the store with a dollar in your pocket and you have no credit cards and all that, you just have a dollar. I remember that as a kid, right? You walk in with a dollar. The store is my oyster as long as what I get is under a dollar. So that's a different feeling than walking in with a thousand dollars thinking, wow, how much more can I get? Those options open you up, make you feel more free, at least for me. Maybe not everyone's like this, and maybe money isn't a good example for you, but think about what it feels like to have more options. And this is why it felt so good for me to flirt with this person, to think that I am creating an option for myself if I want it. Before, I didn't have that option because there might not have been an attraction. But now that I've created that attraction, that option is there. So it adds to my options in life. It gives me some liberties to do more, to experience more. And I think that's part of what I was doing when I was giving those mixed messages. So I just wanted to comment on that in case uh, it helped you understand anything at a deeper level for you or someone you know. Anyway, let's get to the terms that I created here for mixed messengers. And these are different types of people. The people who give us mixed messages are these terms. So these aren't all inclusive terms. They are just uh, labels to help you maybe identify a set of characteristics. So first one, I used this term earlier, passive pursuer. Passive pursuers are those who seek validation and want to know they're attractive to others. It doesn't always have to be about attraction, but they want to be liked. They want to be seen. They don't want to necessarily leave a relationship that they're in. That's why I call them passive. But they may flirt. They may love the sexual charge connected to it. But they're not looking for anything else. The option, like I was just saying, that they could have a fling or a relationship if the circumstances were right, is stimulating to them. Passive pursuers send messages of wanting more, but usually don't follow through. So that term has an opposite active pursuers. Now, active pursuers are very much the same as passive pursuers, except when their target bites, like if this girl liked me, which she did, and she wanted more uh, connection and more of a relationship, if I were an active pursuer, I would follow through and I would connect with her. And because of this, it wouldn't be a mixed message. So I don't call active pursuers a mixed messenger, but I wanted to give you the, the opposite of passive pursuer. However, the active pursuer might be active out and about, but at home, they might be a mixed messenger, meaning they might be someone who cheats. So they are out and about wanting to be liked, flirting, doing whatever they're doing to gain attention, and they follow through. So just because they're an active pursuer doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, ethical, moral following the rules of a relationship, but they are congruent for sure because they're following through uh, in that respect. But at home, they may be something else that we're going to talk about. So the next one is a fearful protective. These are the messengers that are afraid to express themselves honestly and will often have people-pleasing qualities to make people think that nothing is wrong and all is well in the world. They'll do things like tell you they're fine when they're really pissed off. 
They'll say yes to things they don't want to do. They'll give the silent treatment because they're upset, but don't want to upset someone else because they want to avoid confrontation. They send messages of all is well when they're actually upset and unwell. The fearful protective was something that I did for a long time. I protected myself and I was afraid to express myself honestly, so I would give mixed messages. It's fearing expressing yourself honestly to people because you want to protect yourself so that they don't overreact and cause you any stress or something like that. A good example of that is um, when I used to be a people pleaser in my marriage, when we first got together, uh, right before the marriage actually, I would talk to her in a way that I felt would make her feel comfortable around me. So I would always be very permissive and passive and just ask her questions like, hey, is it okay if I do this? Hey, is it okay if I do that? I don't want you to be upset. Uh, and it was just, it was wearing on her and she couldn't take it anymore. And she's like, I don't want to live with a child. I want, I want to live with somebody who speaks their mind and isn't afraid to say, you know, what they mean. If you want to eat early without me, just say, hey, I want to eat early without you. Instead of saying, hey, do you mind if I eat early without you? You sound like a little baby. I mean, that's how she was talking to me and she was right. Because when she said that, I realized I am. And I had to work through that and process it because I did that all my life. I thought that's how you're supposed to treat people. You're supposed to be so kind to them and loving toward them. But really what I was doing was protecting myself because I was afraid. Because I didn't want to create any conflict or confrontation. The messages I sent were, all is well with me, but I'm actually upset. So when she made me angry, I wouldn't say I was angry at her. I would just be fearful and protective. So, so far we've talked about the passive pursuers, those who are seeking attention but never really follow through, so they give those mixed messages. And then the fearful protectives, like who I've been for a long time, and it probably still comes up every now and then inside of me, so i got to look at that when it does. But the opposite of that is uh, the fearless protective. The fearless protectives don't mind expressing themselves and have no qualms about honoring themselves with anyone. However, they can tend to be overly protective of themselves to the point that as soon as someone crosses them, even accidentally, they'll jump into what I might call absolute mode, meaning they'll respond to you in a way that is absolute, like, Oh no, I won't stick around for someone who doesn't text back in five minutes. I am out of this relationship. That is jumping into an absolute, it's either all or nothing. It's either on or off. It's very binary thinking. It's either one way or the other. So if they don't text back, that's dishonoring me. That's disrespecting me. I'm out of here. That's like really aggressively protective. It's a but it's a fearless protection. Like, I'm not afraid to protect myself and I'm just going to do anything it takes. So this is the extreme of fearless protectiveness. But it can also be used as a manipulation tactic. Uh, if someone's unscrupulous, they might use this tactic to be emotionally abusive. Like, if you don't come home right now, I'm going to hurt myself. And that's just such a jump, a leap in logic and such an absolute, like, if you don't do this or if you do this, I'm going to do this. And it's usually a threat and it's usually not real, um, but it's used as a manipulation. So all fearless protectives aren't like this, but some can use it to their advantage to make them feel bad if they don't do what they say. Mostly I've seen fearless protectives who have been burned before and they don't want to be burned again. So that's why they're so adamant about protecting themselves. And they usually don't send mixed messages unless they're, like I said, unscrupulous. They're usually very literal with no gray area and little room, very little room for negotiation. And again, some of this is an extreme example. But you've probably met people like that, like, nope, I'm not going to take it. I'm out of here without talking about it, without saying anything. I mean, I know a lot of my clients' parents are like this. They'll say, well, if you don't want me to call after 10, I guess I won't call at all. They just jump into that absolute, well, it's either this way or no way at all. And uh, that can have such an underlayer of fear, but they come across as fearless. It is a deep level fear, but they come into the world fearlessly protecting themselves, meaning they don't care 
what it takes. They're going to do it. They'll step into whatever challenge that is and just say, nope, that's not how it is for me. Or, yep, this is how it's going to be. So there's that. Now, the next one is what I'm calling false impressors. These are the people that you go out on a date with, for example, and they show you that they're all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> and they go out of their way to impress you using psychological tactics instead of engaging in genuine personality. They'll often love bomb you or gift bomb you. You know what that is, right? When they send you all these compliments and love and they say how wonderful you are and how beautiful you are, it's overdone. And that's called love bombing. Gift bombing is the same thing. They're sending you all these gifts and they're buying you stuff and and you feel so nurtured and, and catered to and supported. But what it is, is they're giving you a false impression of who they really are so that they can pull you into their vortex of manipulation and emotional abuse. The false impressors are, are more dangerous. They send messages of undying love for you. And all they want is to be with you and make a life with you. In reality, they're just luring you in. It's sort of like a passive pursuer. I was luring that girl in. Except when you fall in love with a false impressor, you're in their clutches because their behavior changes from love and gift bombing to getting you to submit to their subtle forms of control and manipulation. And typically the first two or three months with a false impressor is amazing because they know exactly what you want and need. They've spent a lifetime learning to fulfill those needs as fast as possible so that they could appear as the person of your dreams. So I'm kind of using this in a romantic uh, relationship sort of way, especially a new one. Someone will show up impressing you, but in a false way, which leads to the opposite, which is the true impressors. And they're the ones that show up as authentic as possible. They allow their vulnerabilities to be exposed and they aren't afraid to say things that will make you run. Uh, because of this, they're often seen as trustworthy and more secure for a relationship. They usually don't give mixed messages, so they're not really on this list. However, it's good to note if you have a true impressor or a false one. So that's why I give you these opposites so that you can understand the difference. Discerning between one and the other could save you years of suffering in a relationship. So um, the true impressors are kind of high on the list of good people to be around because they're not giving you any BS, they're not giving you any lines, and they're not trying to go overboard trying to impress you. They just show up congruently, authentically. They tell you how they feel and it's real, or they, they give you some truth that they think will make you run. And uh, because it's the truth, you actually want to be closer to them. The true impressors really get uh, better relationships because they're not afraid to be themselves. All right, so we have um, a couple more. Anxious balancer. The anxious balancer is one who is always trying to keep the peace and will do anything in their power to make sure everyone gets along. God, this sounds like my entire childhood. <laughs> it's very much a people pleaser quality, but the person trying to spin all these plates at once what happens is they wear themselves out quickly. They pretend everything is okay, but they're exhausted from trying to handle everything and everyone at once. And if you ask an anxious balancer how they're doing, they're likely to give you an overly optimistic, overly positive response, like everything is terrific, life is amazing. And it's sort of a self-affirmation for them so that they, they can uh, fake the feeling until they make it happen in themselves. I'll give you one guess why I call them uh, anxious balancers. Yes, they're usually more anxious than positive. They send messages of normalcy and happiness, but underneath, they're terrified of conflict and confrontation. Not necessarily toward themselves, but in between others. Conflict between others makes them extremely nervous. So the opposite of the anxious balancer is the courageous balancer. Now, this is a person who really doesn't worry about pain, conflict, or suffering because they just want peace. They may step in between a fight and calm everyone down. They may be the voice of reason and the voice of sanity when everything seems to be falling apart. And they're almost always natural-born leaders. And they usually don't send mixed messages, so they're not part of this group. But they're the opposite of the anxious balancer. Um, and they're often respected and even admired for their emotional strength. So there you have it. 
passive pursuers, fearful protectives, false impressors, and um, anxious balancers. Not very memorable terms, but um, who knows, maybe you heard uh, a description of someone uh, in there or someone like yourself that might match something like this. And if you think, oh, geez, you know, I'm uh, an anxious balancer, what can I do to fix that? Well, what does a courageous balancer do? Oh, they don't worry about pain, conflict, and suffering. Well, how am I going to do that? I always worry about pain, conflict, and suffering. Well, you tune into other episodes of this show. (laughs) You just keep following along. You'll get it. Um, Otherwise, there are more I could probably come up with. And uh, sometimes labels are good. Sometimes. And uh, the reason is because you can take a group of symptoms and attach a label. And then uh, when you do, you can understand what might be happening in yourself or in others. And it's a good gauge for you to find out if that's who you want to be or who you want to be with or not. Now, I've given you all the labels. I've given you some descriptions. I mean, those aren't all the labels. There's more to this, but um, you got to condense it into an hour show. So when we come back, I want to talk about a uh, solutions to dealing with someone who sends mixed messages. We'll be right back after this. All right, we're back. I'm going to read you this email really quick and make some comments on it and then talk about mixed messages some more. Emails from someone I'm going to call Bill. Bill says, um, I was single for several years and have not been in a relationship or had sex for most of those years. Last year, I met this woman and uh, she was coming out of a marriage and just moved to my country. For several months, we went out normally. I even went to work events with her. And I could see that she got really attached, and it was actually a little scary for me, uh, which made me distance myself a little. In the meantime, I took things very slowly and tried to be present but distant and avoiding sharing details. In December, she traveled to be with family and eventually returned at the beginning of the year. During this time, we talked and things were lovely. We bonded more, and I started to let go of my fears. On our first meeting upon her return, I saw that she received a message from a guy asking about her. When I confronted her about it, she told me that she thought I had been distant, so she started talking to someone else, but she loved me. She apologized. Uh, I didn't say I love you back, but I eventually accepted her explanation and told her I cared for her that I would like to continue our relationship. A week later, she had an issue with her ex-husband. I don't know all the details, but somehow it scared her, and she told me that she needed to be more distant. It was hurtful, and now I feel like I'm dependent on her responses. I've become a little obsessed, but in the last month, we've been together. One night is beautiful, and the next, she asks me to stay away. She has told me again and again that she loves me, but a few days later, uh, she doesn't want to see me for another couple days. Last week, which was uh, several months ago since I've received this email, we had a talk, and she said she wanted to maintain a special friendship, sort of a friends with benefits. And now it's even weirder, because uh, when I text her, she doesn't reply. She did tell me she doesn't want to break it off, but for now she needs her space and communication is very limited Uh, she said she knows she is risking losing me but that is what she needs and i have accepted her decision i don't know if i've become obsessive or not so i'm trying to live day by day because i have told her i love her and that i would work around this situation if she has feelings for me and she is not seeing others which she has told me she is not and that's not what she's interested in how should i understand her position at times i feel rejected and i become very insecure And now we hardly even message anymore. You have a great show and I just started following you. Thanks for any advice you can provide. Okay, Bill, you know, thanks for that. And um, sorry you're going through this. It's been a few months since I received this. I hope things have changed for you. But um, talk about mixed messages. Absolutely. What you're getting is I love you. Don't leave me. Let's see if this can work out. However, if you have to go, that's okay too which puts you in a space of, well, okay, if you love me, then I'll stick around because then we'll be together and then we can have a happy life and just do our thing and everything will be great again. I get a lot of messages like this. Like I said, I get a lot of mixed messages, emails, and this is one of them. And when I read things like this, you know, the 
first thought that comes to mind, this is my personal opinion, not my professional opinion. My personal opinion is, geez, if I were in your shoes, I would say, I can't handle this. I need to know. You have to tell me if this is something you want with me or not. I can't handle it. I could feel the stress come on when I read your email that if I were going through this, I would not be able to take it. And that's sort of where you are, but I personally follow through and say, I can't take this. I I won't be able to handle this. If you just want to be friends with benefits, does that mean you want other friends with benefits too? And what does that mean? And does that mean I should wait for you? And I don't like the waiting game because tomorrow could come or not. I really don't like the waiting game. I really don't like thinking, all right, I'll wait until you're ready. I mean, there's no closure there. So personally, when I put myself in your shoes, I say, I'm getting out of here. I, you know, if you decide to change your mind, great, come and pursue me. I want you, I love you, or I have feelings for you, but I'm not going to wait around while life passes me by uh, just so you can figure things out. That might be cold. It's not, though, because what you're doing is saying, hey, I need to live my life, too. It may feel cold to her, like, oh, you're just cutting me off. At least I'm keeping you in my little circle or whatever. But if you're in limbo, you need to take yourself out of limbo. That's a choice that you're making, that limbo. Again, this is my personal opinion. (laughs) It is somewhat backed by my professional experience with clients and relationships. But let us get into the professional side of this conversation. (laughs) I'll put on my professional hat. And let's talk about the solution for mixed messages. And it's going to be very close to my personal opinion, which is, and I have like five or six steps here. Uh, Step one, you need to express that you're getting mixed messages and that you don't like it. That has to be the step one for any mixed messages that you get. And I'm talking not only to Bill, talking to everyone. If you are getting mixed messages, You need to say, I'm getting mixed messages. You say this, you love me, but you don't want to be with me. That is a mixed message. I don't like it. And they may say, well, I'm sorry. That's just how it is. I don't know what to say. I've got these circumstances and I don't know what to do. I don't mean to sound condescending, but uh, they might say something like that. I just don't know what to do. I I have these feelings too, and I don't know what to do about it. That's fine. But I need to tell you, you're sending mixed messages, and I'm not going to stick around too long. This is my words. I'm not going to stick around too long if these mixed messages continue. So I'm setting up, you know, I'm framing my future responses to these mixed messages. I'm framing this. I'm making it very clear. This is step one in countering or resolving the mixed messages scenario express to them that you're getting mixed messages and you don't like it and frame it in a way that says, I don't like it and I'm not going to deal with it for too much longer. So this lets them know that they need to start thinking about what they really want in their life because if they want you or they want to work with you or if it's not romantic, if they want something more, then they need to express it. It needs to come to terms. Or if they say, you know, I'm waiting for my tax check. You know, if it's financial or if it's business, I'm waiting for my tax check. Okay, great. Now we have a deadline. I love deadlines. We're going to talk about that in a second. Number two is ask for absolute clarification. This is along the lines what I've just said is that, for example, you say you love me, but you don't want to be with me now. So I need to know at this point, what do they mean? Does that mean that you absolutely want to be with me after you get through this? Because I want clarification. I need clarification. This is a hard part for some people because they don't want to know the truth because the truth might hurt. Well, I don't know if I want to be with you. I'm working that stuff out. That's not clear. I want clarification. And when you ask for clarification from someone, they may give you an answer like that. Look, I don't know. But if you follow up and say, well, I need clarification, does that mean that eventually you want to be with me? Does that mean that you will pay me back? Does that mean this? Really hold their feet to the fire so that you understand exactly what their goal is. What is their goal? 
if their answer is still, I don't know, uh, and they're indecisive, they're not much of an action taker, they're just hoping that things work out magically and the relationship will get better or their life will get better or whatever. But you need clarification because you need closure. You need to know for sure what they mean. So that's step two. Step three is make any decision that you're going to make based on what you're experiencing today. So this might even be a harder step than step two. Because today is going to be the only experience you ever have with this person. And what I mean by that is that tomorrow will be yet another today. And we get caught in the open loop of waiting for the other person to come around that when they don't come around over and over again, you have to realize that it's just a delay tactic or something because maybe they don't want to make any changes in their life. Maybe they like their life the way it is and you are trying to squeeze blood from a stone. You're trying to make them do things that they don't want to do or that they're uncomfortable doing. So they're making you wait. But wait for what? Wait forever. Maybe they're waiting for something else to happen that you'll get bored or uninterested or do something else with your life so that they don't have to express what they really want or what they really need. I don't know. But what's best, in my opinion, is to make your decisions every day is to make your decisions based on what you're experiencing today because today is all you have to gauge. So you can look in the past and go, well, a year ago they were this way too. Will they be different tomorrow? Well, if they were that way a year ago, they're probably going to be that way tomorrow. It doesn't mean that's 100% correct. They could have an enlightening evening. They could do some meditation. They could do some praying, whatever. And suddenly they're a new person in the morning. But all you have to gauge is today. So this is a hard step for some people to make decisions about your life based on what you see in front of you today. Because it means that you take out the hope that someone will start behaving differently. You take out the gambling part like I'm gambling by either investing more time into this relationship or wasting more time in this relationship. It's a gamble. So what am I doing? Am I going to continue gambling? And hopefully it turns into an investment or do I just need to make a decision and do something else? So this is very helpful to understand where you are with this. Because if you're making decisions based on a future that doesn't exist today and that's what you end up doing every day, you become indefinitely stagnant. And that is no fun. It's not fun to think, okay, if tomorrow they haven't changed, then I'll wait another day. And if tomorrow they haven't come to a decision, then I'll wait another day. And yes, this is about mixed messages too. I'm talking, all of this is about mixed messages. Uh, for example, when I was uh, married, I would tell my wife that I love her, yet I would give her the evil eye when she ate junk food. I would give her the silent treatment when she ate junk food. So that is an incongruence. That's when my words didn't match my behavior. Because if I loved her, why would I give her the silent treatment? If I wanted her to be happy, why did I make her feel bad about herself? That's a mixed message. That is, uh, it was also emotional abuse, but that is a mixed message. And it has to prompt her to gauge what she wants for a relationship today. Wow, he says he loves me and then he does this. It would have been an interesting thing if she said, uh, honey, you know, when you say you love me and then you give me the silent treatment, that makes me think that you don't love me. I'm getting mixed messages. What is it? And that would put me on the spot and I would have to answer, well, I do love you. But someone who loves me wouldn't disappear like that. They would tell me what's on their mind. They would trust me to be able to express things to me. And you disappear. You make me feel like I'm unloved. You make me feel like I'm unlovable. You make me feel like I'm not worth talking to or sharing things with. I mean, she probably didn't have those tools back then. But if she did that and put me on the spot, then I would have to face my incongruence. I would have to face my mixed messages so that we could have a conversation about it because obviously there was more going on there and calling me out would be a great way to get it out and get clarity. You know, that was that step two, get clarity. And step three, make a decision based on what you're experiencing today, which she would have been doing if that's what she said. But number four is creating accountability. 
So this is where I talked about adding a deadline. When you create accountability, you add that deadline so that you have a follow through point. And what happens is that forces the person to come up with what they're going to do anyway faster. It takes out the delay. If they've been dragging their feet for months or years, it's time to put a stop to it by setting a deadline. When they realize that they now have to come up with their next step, they'll make the same choice they would have eventually made anyway. It's just a faster choice. They're going to come up with the same choice, just like Bill, you know, you ask that girl that you've been seeing, uh, you know what, I need you to figure this out in 30 days. Because in 30 days, I'm walking. I mean, that could be what happens. In 30 days, I'm not going to want to pursue this with you anymore because you're stuck in limbo and I don't want to be in that same limbo. I want to live my life. I don't want to waste any more time. I want to be with somebody who wants to be with me. That might be your answer. That might be something you have to tell her. And that's hard because now we have to face our own self-worth, our own self-esteem. We have to face that there could be loss in our life. But at what cost is keeping this person in your life that never seems to follow through, that keeps you in limbo? You know, what is that costing you? The accountability thing would have worked in my marriage too. If you don't figure this out, if you continue to do the silent treatment with me, because I can tell when you're doing it, I can tell when you're disconnected, I'm out of here. Boy, if she said that, I would have been like, what? 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 <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, I'll go get therapy. I will take care of myself. That definitely would have prompted me. I'm not saying it was her responsibility to do that. I'm saying that when I look in the past and I see my behavior toward her, if she had done that, that would have been enough incentive for me to figure this out quicker, to do what I need to do for myself so that I stopped showing up as the person I was with the behavior I had because it was all mixed messages for her and it was driving her insane. It's just, a, it's all part of the emotional abuse cycle, just sending these mixed messages. And um, as good as she was at honoring herself and honoring her boundaries, she still didn't really understand what was happening in the relationship. I don't know if she'd ever been treated like that before or um, if she trusted me more than other people. And that's why my behavior might not have been seen as manipulative or abusive. Who knows? But certainly if she said, look, I can't take this anymore. I'm about to walk. She had said that, that would have been enough incentive. That would have given me accountability. And I realized, oh my God, I got to take care of this right now. Because I wanted the marriage. I wanted to continue being in love with her. I wanted to continue everything we had together. Uh, so it was that important. And you find out what's important to someone when you create that deadline, when you create accountability. So that's step four. That's a great way to get to a conclusion. But you may also find out that the conclusion was they don't want a relationship with you or they, they want to leave. They want to get out of the relationship. And so if that happens, you have to be prepared. But that's okay because that's the truth you're looking for. It could be very painful, but you need truth so you can start your healing. You can start your closure and you can start moving on. So that's number four. Number five when dealing with mixed messages is if they don't give you a clear answer or decision, you know, in my marriage, if I said, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'll work on it. I'll figure things out. Then you need to put them to the test and you need to make the decision for them. This is sort of along the, the accountability line. For example, well, if you can't decide if you're in love with me or not, I'm going to assume you're not so I can get on with my life. That might be something that Bill says. If you can't decide if you're in love with me and you want to spend your life with me, then I'm going to assume that you aren't in love with me and you don't want to spend your life with me, so I'm going to move on. This is the test for them. Because if she said, well, okay, if you want to do that, I understand, then how invested was she? Because someone who's invested is going to go, what? No, I want you so bad. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to have a relationship with you. I definitely want this. Someone who's really congruent inside, who wants it, will stop with the mixed messages and say, this is what I want. This is exactly what I want. But sometimes you have to test them. And that test may not always go your way. This is one of those things that could end up giving you a truth that you don't like or don't want. But it's better to know so that you know what you're dealing with. When it's on the table, you know what you're dealing with. Hey, now we have something to work with. It's better to know it than to not know it and stay in limbo day after day after day. 
So number five is put them to the test. And that's only if you don't get a clear answer or decision on what they want to do. And number six, last one, remember that mixed messages can lead you to mistreat yourself. I don't want you to continue exposing yourself to incongruence and no-shows and no follow-throughs. People that say they'll be there, but they don't show up. People who say they love you and they drain your bank account or give you the, the evil eye like I used to do. People who promise to pay for gas or lunch over and over again, but continue to fail to deliver. They need to know that you deserve to be treated better. And some may not realize they're doing it. But when they realize they could lose you, they could lose this connection, they could lose this relationship because of their behavior, they'll either shape up or get kicked out. It's sort of like another story when I was married. I worked for this company that, you know, they closed the doors at five and I would work late constantly. And my wife would call me and say, when are you coming home? And I would say, "Uh, I'm leaving in five minutes. I'm leaving in five minutes. And an hour and a half later, sometimes I would leave. And this started wearing on her and she started getting more upset about it. I didn't know how upset until one night I came home and she goes, why do you do that? And she was really upset. And I, and I asked, what, what do you mean? Why do I do what? She goes, why do you tell me you're going to leave in five minutes and then you don't leave? And I never thought about it. I just thought, well, you know, she knows it's me and sometimes I'll try to make it and sometimes I won't. But what she was doing was waiting for me at home, thinking I was going to arrive at a certain time because I told her I would. But I was giving her a mixed message. I said I would leave and I didn't. So she would either, you know, prepare dinner or prepare to see me or just know that I'm coming home on uh, at a certain time uh, just so she knows I didn't get into an accident or something. But I didn't. And she really felt mistreated. She really felt like I was disrespecting her or something. She was really upset by this. And in the context of mistreating yourself, she decided to stop doing that because in order for her to accept my behavior, it had to also be an acceptance that she doesn't deserve any better treatment from me. And that's important. When you realize that you're accepting behavior that makes you feel bad, that makes you feel unloved, unwanted, rejected, or lied to, you're mistreating yourself. And so she decided to stand up and say, look, I don't want to be married to someone who tells me they're going to do one thing and does another. I don't know if you're coming home. I don't know if you're going to an accident. I don't know if I should have dinner ready. Just tell me when you're really coming home instead of lying to me. I don't, I don't care if you stay an hour, but tell me you're going to be an hour. And so I got that message loud and clear. And from that point on, whenever I said, uh, I am leaving in five minutes, I made sure that I gave up anything that I was doing, closed up my computer and left. I'm sure I failed that a couple times, but for the most part, I went home when I said I was going home and it made a huge difference. She felt respected again. She felt like she wasn't being lied to. There were no mixed messages and our relationship was suffering from other things, but it got better because of that one little thing. I realized that, you know, throughout my life, what am I doing? What am I saying that I'm conveying a message that I don't really mean? Why is that not important that I convey the message I mean? You know, I don't always know I'm going to leave in five minutes, but I tell you what, I am definitely more aware now that when I say I'm going to do something, I better follow through with it. Not because I'm in fear, but because it's out of respect for the person I told. I'm not saying that everyone has to follow this rule, but I'm just saying when you accept certain behaviors that make you feel bad, that make you feel dishonored, disrespected, unloved, that it's a mistreatment of yourself. And if you don't speak up and say, you know, this does not feel right. I I want someone who doesn't give me mixed messages. I want someone who can tell me the truth. Even if the truth hurts, then you end up having a lot better communication, a lot better relationship uh, because the truth is out there and it will set you free. No, and it's, it's the part of the relationship that matters almost the most. If I could say it that way, uh, it matters so much to be truthful instead of sugarcoating or instead of telling a lie just to get through the moment so that they're upset later. You don't want to do that. You don't want to create that kind of dysfunction in the relationship because it leads to so many other things and it can definitely lead to you drifting apart. So that's all I'm going to share today about mixed messages and what you can do to 
thwart them, change them in your life, um, find the solution so that the person that you're with doesn't send you mixed messages anymore. You definitely want clarity. You might have to create accountability. And um, remember not to mistreat yourself by continuing to accept behavior that is devaluing you or invalidating you in any way. You may just have to draw the line and say, no, this is not acceptable anymore. And hopefully you got something out of this. Thank you, Bill, for writing that. I know this is a tough situation. Love is always a tough situation. You can have good love and then you can have love towards someone, but they don't love you the same or enough or you don't know what to do with it because you're in limbo. I hate, I hate limbo. I don't want limbo. I don't want stagnation. I don't want to be in a rut. I like to make decisions fast. If someone I love is contemplating saying, I'm not sure if I want to be with you. I got other things to deal with. I don't know. But, you know, hang around so that when I'm ready, I'll have you there, you know, waiting in the wings. I walk away because if they really want me, they're going to pursue me. And that's hard. It is hard to swallow that pill because that means I'm giving up something that could come to fruition tomorrow. But I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait day after day after day with this mystery, with this lack of closure. Because if it's meant to be, it's going to be. There's my spiritual perspective of the episode. (laughs) Anyway, Bill, thanks so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and um, my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patron members over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. If you're a patron member, you are helping support this show. And if you're not a patron member and you listen to this show and you learn something about yourself or learn how to improve your life in some way, consider becoming one. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It's not only a way to support the show, but it's also a place where you can get uh, a bunch of private episodes, the workbooks and worksheets, and even um, I even put the Overwhelmed Brain book in there as a digital download. So for those patron members who haven't seen it yet, check out the workbook section. There's all kinds of um, neat things in there that will be very helpful to your life. That's patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And current patron members, I appreciate you, including Chris, who just joined. Thank you, Chris. And how about Courtney and Greg and Aaron and Steph and... Mark and Julia and Jen and so many more. Thank you so much for your support of the show. I appreciate you and you are making a difference. And for those of you using the Amazon button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, I appreciate you too. That's another way to support the show. And of course, the uh, donate button for those of you donating. I am honored. Thank you. And the show is going on because of you. Thank you so much. I don't want to tell you about the Mean Workbook. I mentioned it earlier in the first segment. The Mean Workbook is the Manipulation and Emotional Abuse Number Book. (laughs) N stands for number, meaning there's a 200-point assessment in there that gives you your mean score. And that score is going to tell you just how much emotional abuse or manipulation you're going through in your relationship if you're experiencing it. Uh, If you don't know you're experiencing it or your relationship's more difficult than you think it should be, Maybe it's time to get the assessment. Go to loveandabuse.com and get the mean workbook. It's going to help you pinpoint exactly what's going on in the relationship. And we talked about all those little pieces that make up the big cloud that follows the relationship. This workbook breaks down those little pieces so that, uh, you know, if you have to explain it to someone, if you have to explain it to your best friend, you just can't figure out how to explain it. You can show them the assessment and say, look, this is happening. This combined with this combined with this combined with this, making me feel bad, making me feel guilty. He does this. She does that. Once you have that in front of you and you see it all laid out, then you have the evaluation at the end of the assessment. You get real clear on what's happening and also what you can do about it. You know, what are the next steps? What does this mean? The relationship's over. Does it mean there's hope? It walks you through uh, both paths if you want to stay, if you want to go. And um, also there's bonus interviews in there, including one with my girlfriend who was actually a survivor of an emotionally abusive relationship and to quote her, left that relationship as a shell of her former self. 
it really broke her down. So I decided to interview her, an expert on narcissism, uh, who also went through a relationship, and a client of mine that uh, went through a 20-year abusive relationship just to get enough information for you to make decisions that will help you through what you need to do next. And of course, the workbook's all about empowering you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. So go to loveandabuse.com and check that out. And finally, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And in closing, I just want to say that, you know, we are all capable of mixed messages. We are all capable of saying one thing and meaning another. We say we're fine and we're not. We say we're happy and we're not. We say, oh, it's fine. You know, you spilled my drink on my lap, but it's okay. I'll be fine. But it's not okay because we feel something about it. We're upset. We're angry. So we give a mixed message. Oh, they said they were okay. I guess I'll walk away and everything will be fine. And sometimes it's not. What do you do? I mean, I look at certain situations in life and think, well, do I really want to be 100% honest in this moment? Because if I was, I'm going to say some pretty mean things and I'll probably end this relationship, this friendship, this family connection. You know, do I need to say with 100% honesty how I feel in this moment? Maybe that's the best thing to do. I don't know. I, I remember seeing a book called Brutal Honesty. And I thought, wow, that's something I'd love to be able to do. Just be brutally honest. I wonder how many people I could piss off. <laughs> I wonder how many friends I'd end up with. I mean, imagine what goes through your mind in a day's time. I mean, I have really good friends that I might say, oh, geez, that guy stunk today. <laughs> he really smelled. Or, I mean, that's, that hasn't happened. I'm just making up stuff. But you know how we talk about people. When we get home and we're talking to our loved ones and, ah, oh, geez, you know, so-and-so said this today and, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And we didn't say that to so-and-so. We didn't express that. And instead we said, oh, that, that sounds great. Some mixed message. What I'm saying is that mixed messages aren't necessarily something that you should 100% not do. I mean, I think that's a perfect world. I think that's a great utopian viewpoint that we could go around just being honest. I think there's a movie about that too, about um, everyone in the world tells the truth except this one guy. I forget what it's called, but it was, a, it was a neat movie to learn what would happen if everyone just told the truth all the time. It's pretty interesting and you have to be quite resilient and there wasn't too much judgment. There was just honesty and that's a nice thing. Now, I think you can find a happy medium sometimes. Like, I do agree that, yes, 98% of the time, don't give a mixed message. Give a real, authentic message. The 2% of the time, you might be able to compromise a little bit. You're, if you're upset that somebody spilled your drink on you, then you might say, oh, man, oh, I just got a stain on my shirt. Uh, and they're like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then you're like, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, is this really that important that I'm going to be angry at you? You know, I am kind of upset, but, you know, I realize it was an accident. You might be able to say something like that. It might offend them if you said something like that. It may not. They may be so sorry, uh, but how often are you honest with them? Ah, oh, don't worry about it. I'll get another shirt. It's not a big deal. I was upset at first because I thought you were just a klutz. But then I realized, wait, you're my friend. What do I, what do I care you kind of process it in the moment. And sometimes when you speak before you think, you'll say things that you may regret. So that might have to happen too. But the point is you want to be as congruent as possible. And that just means whatever you're thinking and feeling, if you can be as close to that when you express it, then you have more authentic relationships. Again, do you have to say everything that's on your mind all the time? I won't. <laughs> I won't do that. There are times when people anger me. And is it really necessary to bring anger into the conversation? Or can I still get my point across with the anger behind it, uh, but not necessarily conveyed? You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, I used this example last week or the week before. Somebody hits me with a shopping cart. And I turn around. And I could be angry because that would be my off-the-cuff response. Like, hey, watch where you're going. Or I could just turn around and see if they acknowledge hitting me. And if they don't, I might say, whoa, you know, could you uh, back up a little bit? 
that might come from a place of anger, like, what the hell? <laughs> Why aren't you watching where you're going? But I like to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I, I like to believe that people don't mean what they do when they hurt me. It doesn't always work that way. Some people are intentionally trying to hurt you, me, uh, but it is nice to go around thinking, you know, maybe they didn't mean it and they just don't know what they're doing or they don't know how to handle situations. Maybe they just don't have the skills it takes to communicate their message clearly. So maybe I shouldn't be so angry at them. I mean, I could go on and on with this topic. <laughs> the point is, uh, I like to be at least 98% non-mixed messages. And the other 2% that I may not be fully congruent is probably because in the grand scheme of things, why does this moment matter that much? So you spilled grape juice on my white carpet. Why does that moment matter so much that I'm willing to be angry at you and risk this relationship when it's an accident? It could have happened to anyone. I don't know why I have a white carpet. <laughs> yes, I, Maybe I shouldn't have a white carpet in the first place, but um, do I need to be angry at you for this? Maybe I won't convey that anger in the moment. Maybe I'll process it somewhere else, but that's just me. But at minimum, I'm going to do what I suggest you do every week, and that's to keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in any decision you make and any action you take so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.